I live within the city limits of Atlanta, a highly urban area, and yet I've come face to face with coyotes and deer and of course, more commonly rabbits and all sorts of wildlife that coexist here. And most people have no sense of them being there. People don't believe me unless I show them pictures that, yes, here's a coyote in your yard. Here's the deer running through your street. Hello, hello, friends, and welcome to the Wild Spectacle podcast a limited series where we talk about magnificent experiences we've had on this amazing earth. I am your host, Janice Ray. Here I speak with people who, in nature, happen to experience something, a phenomenon or an event, large or small, that shocks them, that infuses them with mystery or amazement or even fear an encounter that shifts the way they see the world and themselves in it. This is episode four, and I'm speaking with Peter Petit. Peter is an environmentalist, photographer, and published poet. His poems are deeply felt and beautifully rendered. He lives in Atlanta, Georgia, where he takes long walks through stream beds and old forests in the middle of the city and then posts stunning photos and accounts of his walks. He also takes extended trips into wilderness. He believes that when we see ourselves as visitors who do not remain, rather than those who have dominion over all, we are humbled and released free to take possession of our physical bodies in real time in this one place where we can contribute and belong. Peter, thank you for coming on to tell your wild spectacle story. Thanks for having me, Janice. It's an honor. So first, let's get you on the fun chart. On a scale of one to 10, where do you fall? How wild are you? I've been thinking about that question, and I thought I was at one extreme or the other, and now I think I'm really probably in the middle. I think between wild and tame, I'm more dis- well described as feral, a draw on being both wild and tame. I love that. I love it. You're feral. Okay, you've agreed to tell a story, and um, let's just set the stage here, and then you tell it. Tell us maybe what happened, and let us know, like, where you were and why you were there, and then what took place. I was standing in the middle of the South River, right where it goes underneath the trestle, and I was wearing waders and waiting to meet an inspector from the county's environmental compliance department. It just started to rain. My phone rang, my cell phone, and I had it set to ring only for registered numbers, so I was surprised that it rang, and it was an unrecognized number, so I answered it. And it was the man who asked if a full name was correct. And I said it was. And he said he was a detective from Utah Police Department. And uh, did I remember purchasing a 357 Magnum almost exactly 40 years ago? And I told him that I did. I mean, you don't forget something like that. It's the first pistol I ever bought. <clears throat> he said that it was taken from a 
felon that they arrested out there and he was trying to trace it back and see if it was stolen or what its history was, if it involved any crimes. So I told him who I'd sold it to and their phone number. And I, uh, you know, hung up the phone and, and just was wondering, thinking about videos I'd been watching recently from Utah, of a confrontation there with the people who had taken over the Malheur Wildlife Refuge, especially a man who was shot as he tried to pull a pistol out of his jacket to challenge a policeman. And he was yelling, kill me, kill me. And I was struck at thinking that could have been my pistol and I really didn't want it to be. I didn't, uh, didn't want to be in the violent confrontation, although I knew that um, situations always had that possibility as far as conflict over how land is used and whether it's preserved or whether it's exploited. The phone rang again and it was the county inspector and he was about a quarter mile away up from the river. I told him to wait right there that I would walk up and meet him. So I did. When I got there, he got out and um, I asked where his waiters were and he said he didn't bring them. He thought he could see enough from one side of the river. So I said, okay, we walked back down to the river and the forest really obscured the view. You couldn't see anything going on of sight across the river. And so I was sort of in an impasse and I said, well, maybe we could walk across the trestle and it was raining. The trestle has a little walkway, but it's slick. Right at the other end of the trestle, the tracks curve sharply and I-285 is just beyond that. There's a constant roar there, so it would be a dangerous walk across. And he refused. I said, well, just walk with me up the grade there. The railroad tracks are about 40 feet above the level of the river and it's a steep gravel and clay bank, but he agreed to do that. And so we walked up to the top of the grade and looked over. I was relieved to see that from there you could see both the road coming in and the big illegal clear cut and all the mud rushing down to the river below. And he uh, changed his demeanor from one of basically disbelief to pull out a camera and start taking pictures and thank me for having reported it. And so we uh, walked back down and walked back to his truck and it led to a case that now three years later has resulted in an over a million dollars fine for the corporation that was illegally developing there. I hope that it's also set a precedent for other businesses and other people who would despoil the local landscape for their own private gain. Peter, that is such an interesting and complicated story. I want to dig into it a minute. My question for you is, how did you see nature differently or your own life differently? But as you're thinking about that and answering it, I also think, I mean, it's it's so interesting because it. I think this has to do with power as well and some kind of like a transformation. It was just such a transformative experience all the way from the levels of violence of the gun and all the way up to involving the law and the inspector and photographs and the train. So break it down just a little bit for us. You know, it began when I was walking my dog and I noticed that there were bulldozers working on a Sunday across the river. So I, you know, went over to the river and waited in the river and looked up there and there were, um, not only cutting trees, but grubbing the stubs, stumps up and, and preparing roadways. And they had no silt fences up and there were no permits posted. So 
I uh, started calling first the woman, Jackie Eccles, who's head of the South River Watershed Alliance, to ask her if she knew what was going on. And it took me, I think, over a month to ever get to the point where I could get an inspector to come out and and look and see what this was that was going on that had nothing permitted and no best management practices to keep soil out of the river. You know, to break it down further as far as power and and how this all relates to wildness. And I went back when you asked me to do this to uh, Thoreau because so many people associate wildness with what he had to say about it. You know, he said that it is not in wild places. It's in our brains and our bowels. And I thought that was a really um, excellent way to put it, that wildness is really not something that's far away from us or outside of our everyday lives in the physical sense. It's it's right there with us. It's, it's what is most essential and most direct. It's a direct experience that um, hits you in the bowels as well as the brain and conflicts. And also thought of how they found such a link between people's brains and their guts, their microbiomes that have a big effect on your brain and how you think and how you feel. And that conflict between thinking and feeling and the way that we're always simultaneously doing both, that just made that moment seem particularly wild to me because I was um, unsure talking about the first weapon I'd bought and what had happened to it and being there in a place where I was basically calling the law on someone in a serious case that I was sure to going to change people's lives and livelihoods. Um, but I was doing what I felt like I had to do and what I needed to do. Yeah, I've been hearing stories and they're all so different and stories of wild spectacle and and this one is 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 even more different, which because what you're really saying is the wild spectacle was taking place within yourself. I just think it's it's just so powerful. It's gonna make this question a little harder. I mean, you see plenty of amazing things in the wild, and I just love it that you brought it home to your own body. What about the little things close to your home? Do you mind describing a few little amazements that happen kind of regularly to you? You know, I start every day walking from my house around the neighborhood for about two miles. My dog always goes with me and occasionally my wife. I just I live on the ridge that is the subcontinental divide. The water on one side goes to the Gulf, the other to the Atlantic. And so I walk downhill either way. And I've just basically followed the path of the water down the roads, through the park, through the woods, down to the creek. And I follow the creek. I live within the city limits of Atlanta, a highly urban area. And yet I've come face to face with coyotes and deer and of course, more commonly rabbits and all sorts of wildlife that coexist here. And most people have no sense of them being there. People don't believe me unless I show them pictures that, yes, here's a coyote in your yard. Here's the deer running through your street. We live within nature, not next to it. It's not out there. It's 
in here. It's all around us and we're part of it and we need to be responsible participants in it and not tourists or people who are coming in to save it. We, we need to realize our part in it and think about how we are hurting or helping the rest of it and how we can make it all function better for everyone. I hear you. We live within nature. Beautifully said. Probably then you've answered this question. So with the podcast, I'm I'm not trying to get people to travel across the globe in order to see amazing migrations and eclipses and so forth. This is really about us deeply appreciating the incredible complexity and beauty on, of life on this planet we've been loaned right where we are. And that's exactly what you're talking about. I'm, I'm really interested in us rewilding ourselves. So this last question, how might we get better connected with the environment, especially our own places? One suggestion for how someone might begin to rewild. What you said is that we are responsible participants. We live within nature. But is there anything you want to add to that? How might we be better, more responsible participants? You're saying more responsible is is crucial part of it. I think we tend to look at life around us as if it were a TV show or something at a distance that we can't have an impact on. And I think that if we're responsible to it and we take it seriously, then we understand that there are, you know, my father was a a preacher like your father, and he talked about sins of omission as well as sins of commission. And I think that we really have a responsibility when we see something that's not right, when something is, someone's abusing the world in some way that we have a responsibility to do something about that and it's not a pleasant thing and it's a scary thing to do but it's it's worse to walk away from it that once you walk away you keep going away forever you don't come back being engaged with the world i think if you pay close attention to the world around you you'll see things that need to be changed things that you can actually speak up about and that you can bring about change and you can change the course of history. You can't ever know exactly how you changed it, but you will feel better and you'll be a part of it if you engage with it and you don't shy away from it. If you go ahead and speak out and step out and pay close attention and then when you see something that is an opportunity to do something, you will go ahead and do that. And I think that brings you into that wildness of, of Concord, as ironically Thoreau said. There's a Concord, Georgia also that most people don't know about. My mother went away for one year when she had just graduated from college and taught um, in a one-room schoolhouse there, all grades together. And she was very lonely and lived in a roomer in a house and she told us how there was a mouse in the house and although she generally was frightened of mice she got some comfort from seeing that mouse come out and she wound up leaving little things out to feed that mouse i think that if we look at the things in our lives that maybe are frightening to us like that mouse or 
but that are right there. I think if we interact with them, we can um, embrace them and we can get comfort from being a part of that life and of being, you know, in touch with the world. I think the alienation is the greatest threat to people's well-being. And if we can just engage with the world, that's the only cure there is for alienation and loneliness. Peter, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you like what we're doing here, give this show a thumbs up and forward it to a friend. Thanks to Axel Tree for their beautiful music, Clothe the Fields with Plenty. Thanks to John Pesciuto for sound design. John can be found at the Wrong Advice podcast. We're eager for new voices on the show, so if you'd like to tell a story, please be in touch. Don't forget to get out in nature and take a friend, especially a child. Go see a wild phenomenon. Amaze yourself. Connect yourself. I hope you have a wondrous, wildly spectacular day.